Well, if you want to know the best way to improve your energy, recover from your workouts, digest better, feel freaking amazing, then you're going to want to listen to this one. Today, we're going to talk about sleep optimization, what you can do to improve your sleep, how to organize your daily routine, what are some habits around it, tools to improve sleep, supplements to improve sleep. So I'm going to give you guys a lot of information. Um, as usual, I kind of just jotted some things down in my little diary here, and I said, let's you know freestyle the Friday flow. All right, so let's kind of open it up with this. When you guys think about the six dimensions of health, which I talk about all the time, number one is thinking about movement and exercise. Number two is going to be nutrition. That's kind of the top tier, which we all like to start at. Number three is going to be stress management. Number four is going to be sleep and sleep management quality quantity, which we'll talk about today. And then underneath that, the last tier is going to be your community and environment around you and your mindset. So I want to give you guys kind of things that are going to be tracking tools, uh, tools that can actually improve your sleep, environmental things, daily habits, like all this stuff that's really going to improve sleep. Sleep for us is the most foundational thing that we can do to improve health, right? Um, And it honestly is probably one of the easiest things to adjust because it takes little, you know, little tweaks throughout your day, little things that you can adjust that are not as difficult as maybe going to the gym and lifting weights and being sore or eating foods maybe that you're not used to eating that you don't like. Like, you know, the diet and the kind of training side of things does take time for people to adjust to. Sleep is something that I think is A, overlooked, and B, just kind of taken for granted. Just like, oh, yeah, yeah, I sleep eight hours a night. Remember this. When you look at sleep, first of all, there is a quantity perspective of things that we want to acquire, and there's also a quality that we want to look at. So I want to kind of open up the conversation with these two things. Number one, we've all heard, let's sleep seven or nine hours, right? As we're born as babies, we were, we're required to have more sleep to function, right? So we generally sleep a lot more. And as we continually get older throughout our lifetime, that sleep does diminish. But the one thing I really want people to focus on is, yes, the hours are important, but it's also the quality, right? So there's going to be – I don't want to get too nerdy with it, so think about it as kind of four basic stages. Number one, the first one is going to be light stages of sleep, which is generally where majority of the time is spent. Then we're going to look at stages like awake stages, and then we're going to look at things like deep and REM, right? Deep and REM are going to be your restorative stages of sleep. These, These are what we want to see a lot of, right? Deep, ideally, we want to see about 15 to 25% of our sleep is spent in the deep stages, and that generally happens in the first half of the night. And then your REM stage, uh, your REM stages of sleep, which we all think about with you know dreaming and stuff like that, generally should be a little bit more, probably should be closer to like 20 to 30%. Looking at those two variables is going to be a really, really, really important thing to understand how the quality of your sleep is, right? And I know most people are not going to Stanford to get a sleep study done, which would be probably the ultimate hack to kind of figure out. So just to kind of open up the conversation with number one is always, if you want to track or you want to hack something, you first have to track something, right? For me, I've been kind of a a sleeping beauty and a fanatic around just kind of just studying sleep and how to optimize it because I realized that when those days and I do get the best sleep are the days that I feel the best, I have my best workouts, like... Remember this, your day doesn't start when you wake up. Your day starts from the night, the time that you go to bed. But when you look at improving sleep, it's not about what you do going to bed. It's about what you did the day previously, right? So we're going to talk about how to kind of pay attention to the day that as soon as you woke up, what are you doing the rest of the day? Because that's going to contribute to how well you sleep and the quality and quantity that you actually get. So number one, when we think about tracking it is 
I personally think Aura Ring is by far the best when it comes to tracking tools for sleep, um, just at a personal kind of consumer devices that we can buy. Whoop, I think, was pretty great. I don't think Whoop was as accurate as Aura was. Um, I you've app, used to use Apple Watch a little bit. Haven't used Fitbit. I've heard from other people that kind of Apple Watch and Fitbit maybe are in the same category. So if you are looking for tools to track, I would first start with getting the tool, which would be Aura Ring would be my number one, which I think is like 300 bucks for the ring and it's a free service. Or you can do something like Whoop. Whoop is cool because it gives you a little bit more of a 24-7 dynamic reading on not just sleep, but also you know, exercise and everything else. And it's, it's just a little bit easier to wear than maybe a ring. Like for me, the reason why I don't wear my Aura Ring at, at, um, during my workouts is the pain in the fucking ass, right? So number one, get some tools. That's going to be the first way to open up the conversation to figure out what is working in the routine and maybe what's not working in the routine, right? Number two, which is going to be the big one for sleep, which is, you know, the biological clock that all humans, all things in life are ran on, right? And this is called circadian rhythm. Circadian rhythm is just basically this 24-hour cycle that we all go through, right? And every single biological metabolic process in the body is on a circadian rhythm, right? So when you think about like the next conversation, which is what we're going to kind of talk about with light, like when you think about melatonin and how blue light actually suppresses it, you know, there's a lot of things that can kind of throw our circadian rhythm off of balance. And when that is out of whack, your sleep is unfortunately the first thing to suffer. So think about it this way. There's kind of two things that pop into my mind as being the most dramatic effect on that. And that number one is going to be shift workers. So you think about, you know, people that work in hospitals, people that work graveyard shifts, truck drivers, things like that. Number two is also going to be travel. If you're traveling across time zones pretty frequently with work or back in the day when we used to, um, those are kind of the two things that jump out to me right away. These people suffer the worst when it comes to sleep. And the reason why it's going to be the most important thing that I'll keep coming back to today is it's because you're affecting your circadian rhythm. You're no longer in rhythm. You're out of whack and your biological clock is all over the place. Hormones will change. Every single metabolic process in the body kind of changes. And your body's always trying to adapt to try to find that equilibrium. But if you're out of rhythm, your sleep will be the first thing that suffers, right? So that's something I'm going to keep kind of touching back on today as we go through this. So the number one thing that I want to talk about, I think, is probably the most important thing for sleep quality is going to be light. And we have to remember that there is light that is good and there's light that is bad. Good light would be like infrared, near infrared, right ways, sun is the best light that you can take in, right? One of the best ways to set your circadian rhythm is first thing in the morning, giving yourself 10 or 15 minutes of looking at, you know, sunrise and getting outside. And it could be walking your dog. It could be going on a simple walk. It could be you drinking your coffee outside, sitting on the porch, getting some sun in. That sun is one of the easiest way to start turning that clock on, right? And the earlier we can set it in the day, the better off we're going to be when we get towards the end part of our day when we're trying to go to bed. If you're one of those people that works in, you know, well, now everyone's working at home, but if you're in an office all day, you're indoors all day, and you're stuck behind the screen, you're not really outdoors much, your circadian rhythm over time will be disrupted, and that will obviously affect your sleep. So a big thing when you look at light is understand that good light coming from sunshine or things like red light, you know, uh, I personally bought like a red light panel myself about, I think I got it for Christmas last year. Um, and I do like meditation in the morning with it, but it's also good at night to kind of have those things on versus having all the house lights on or blue lights on and things like that, which transition this next part of this conversation onto the bad light. There is a lot of research coming out nowadays talking about this, basically these negative effects on health of why blue light is so bad for us. And when you think about why blue light is bad or more importantly, where is it coming from? 
That's going to be things like our phones. That's going to be things like our TVs. That's going to be things like our computer screens. And here's the biggest problem. When you're on these things during the day, it's not as big of a negative effect, right? And the reason why is there's light outside as well. And you got to remember like how your circadian rhythm works is when the light shuts off, meaning AKA the sun has set, your body should be going through these kind of nighttime processes, right? And when the sun rises, it's the exact opposite, right? So when you're having things like blue light, especially more towards nighttime, you're disrupting that circadian rhythm, right? You're basically telling your body that it's still light outside, right? You're telling your body that it's still daytime. And obviously all these things, and this is probably one of my, my favorite facts um, and probably craziest things I've ever heard is that blue light at night will suppress your melatonin production upwards of 50%. If you think about something being cut in half, that's a crazy number, right? So if you think about being in front of a computer screen or scrolling through Instagram till midnight or watching TV and Netflix and movies, I'm not saying that you shouldn't do these things, but what are some tools and tactics that you can use to help mitigate that, right? So that's going to be bring me to kind of one of my favorite tools that I've now consistently for the last probably six months been pretty religious about it four times a week and over the last three months almost every day. And that's my blue light blockers, right? So I use a company called Blue Blocks. It's B L U. B-L-O-X, um, and I use their nighttime ones, obviously, so a lot of people that are on a computer screen, um, it's good to wear these even during the day. They have daytime ones, which could be clear or even yellow. The The nighttime ones are orange, right? So I'm going to be completely transparent here. When I first bought these, I bought these about a year and a half ago, if not even two years ago, and for the first six to 12 months, I was not very good at wearing them. And to be honest with you is because it ruins my television experience. For me and my girlfriend, it's like, hey, I work all day. When I get home, I get home six, seven, eight o'clock at night sometimes. We cook dinner. We'll have a glass of wine together. We watch TV, and that's kind of our way to kind of wind down. Um, putting those glasses on made the entire TV and everything in front of me just very like some level of amber orange, um, and it kind of ruined the experience. So it did take me a lot of time to really work my way into getting more consistent with it. But here's one thing that I will tell you why I'm now so religious about this. When I throw these glasses on, it takes about 15 to 30 minutes, and immediately my body's tired. Immediately my body starts feeling drowsy. I start to feel like a normal human being in the fact that there is no more light outside, right? The sun is gone. The only thing that I'm getting light from, unfortunately, happens to be the house lights, the TV, the phone, or the computer. Um, and instead of me telling you, hey, just remove the TV and the phone and the computer and turn all the lights off, that would be the best way to improve your sleep. How many people are actually going to do that? Eh, probably done. So this is one of the easiest tools that you guys can use to help mitigate this, right? And I'm going to tell you just like my personal story there. It does take time, right? But let the facts do the talking, right? The reason why I bought the glasses in the first part is because I do a personal lot of reading, podcast, research myself. And I started to see like, holy shit, there's a lot of stuff with blue light here. So there's obviously got to be some level of importance about why we should be doing this. But then actually doing something versus just knowing the tactics and the ideas was a whole different ballgame. So that would be number one is pay attention to your light, right? Get natural sunlight first thing in the morning. Try to watch the sunrise if you can and the sunset if you can. And not necessarily that you have to wake up at 5. But what I mean by that is when you get up in the morning, get yourself outside for a little bit, right? Or at least open up the windows in the house. Like do things to let your body know that, hey, we are up. If you're still having your complete, you know, everything completely blacked out, it's going to make things a lot harder for your body to kind of wake back up, right? Which we'll talk about when we talk about kind of blackout curtains and tools inside of the bedroom. So, and then the second thing, which is kind of the big thing, is buy some blue light blockers. These are a freaking game changer for me, right? I'm not, like, even my girlfriend doesn't even like the fact that I wear them now because she knows as soon as I throw these bad boys on, 
you got 15 or 30 minutes and your boy's out, right? So there's a really, really simple tool. You know, other kind of little tools and tactics you guys can use is the same company I was just talking about for the glasses. They now sell these yellow and red light bulbs. I unfortunately have not convinced my girlfriend yet of doing this because she doesn't want a thought of a whole house just being red lighted. Um, I'm like the ultimate biohacker now and I'm about all these things. So I would do it, but you know, it's obviously it's about getting your whole household to be on gear with that. So if you have roommates or family or significant other you're living with, harder things. But even putting those in, you know, that obviously would make it even easier. So if you're someone that likes to read at night or maybe that's someone that's not on screens, having red lights on is a good way that's also not going to suppress the melatonin. It's not going to give you those blue light waves. Um, and it's going to allow your body to still go through its kind of natural circadian rhythm and the suppression of getting your body to actually fall asleep. Right. So that's a big thing. Uh, okay. What do I want to talk about next? Another one for me is going to be, which is a, probably the biggest one here for most people outside of light and kind of cofactors there is going to be stress management. Right. And I think this could obviously be a million other podcasts and what are the things that we can do to kind of combat stress management. I've done these a couple times in some previous episodes. Um, but here's one thing you need to think about. If you're someone that doesn't necessarily have trouble going to bed, but you have trouble, or maybe you are someone that has trouble going to bed, but maybe more importantly, like you get up throughout the night. If you wake up with a racing mind, you have to remember that it's not necessarily maybe the environment or the temperature or the lighting or all these other things that we're going to talk about today. Maybe there's something upstairs that needs to be handled first. So doing things that are a little bit more parasympathetic at night. So for example, watching a scary movie for some people and kids. Um, I did a lot of that. That fucked me up. Now I can't have my throat touched anymore. And that's a another separate story <laughs> but you know doing things that are a little bit more relaxing so maybe changing the nighttime routine instead of this high sympathetically highly stimulating type of shows or whatever you're maybe doing at night or video games or whatever you know people like to do there i'm trying to maybe change some of those habits to something that's a little bit more relaxing something that's a little bit more parasympathetic and that could be things like taking a bath at night that could be things like a hot shower that could be things like reading that could be things like genuine conversation with the people you live with Maybe not watching action movies or maybe not watching scary movies, uh, maybe not playing video games, maybe not doing things that are high alert, but then also looking at all the other things that obviously are making you stressed and maybe doing things like 20 minutes of yoga before you go to bed, right? Maybe doing some foam rolling, maybe doing some just simple breathing work or some meditation before you go to bed. Things to just quiet the mind a little bit more before you go to bed are a really, really, really effective way to help your body not only fall asleep faster, but more importantly, kind of keep you there, right? Because that's a big thing. Is a lot of times if for most of us, you can either have one or two sides of the story. If either you're the person that has no problem going to bed, but then four hours later you're waking up and you have a hard time falling back asleep, or you're the kind of the latter and you're someone that just naturally lays there for two or three hours because your brain doesn't shut off. And coming back to kind of the light and uh, stress management and things like that, you got to remember that your body is is taking stimulus in. And if your body's taking stimulus in, it's still up. It's still sympathetic. You know, I'll give you an example. And sorry, babe, for kind of calling you out here. My girlfriend was not tired yesterday. So she was, I was in bed already. I had my glasses on, the freaking lights off the whole nine yards. She's like, well, I'm not tired. I want to be on my phone a little bit more. But I'm like, yeah, but the reason why you're not tired is because you're still on the damn phone, right? Because you're taking the blue light in. You're still doing things that are keeping your brain engaged. At the end of the night, you want to think about like, we want to shut it down in order for your body to fall asleep. It's not like suddenly like, okay, let's go to bed. And everyone, you know, you don't fall asleep like that. It takes hours for most people to really unwind. So kind of bringing me next to the next part, which is going to be kind of meal timing, right? And I think this one probably has the biggest effect on the deeper stages of sleep and heart rate variability for me. So what I mean by that is if you're having a huge meal at night, 
you're going to affect the way that you sleep because your body is spending more effort and energy focusing on digesting all the food that you just gave it. Excuse me. That was gross. Um, sorry, I just finished eating myself too. <laughs> and uh, it's spending more time focusing on digesting so it doesn't allow itself. Like you know, Think about it this way. If you go to bed at 10 o'clock tonight and you ate a big-ass meal at 9 o'clock, you're going to spend the first two, three, four hours in bed still digesting. Right, And what I see when I track my stuff is my heart rate's a little bit higher in the first half. My heart rate variability is super low. I don't get as much deep sleep because that unfortunately happens in the beginning half of the night. And I wake up the next day already kind of groggy, right? So that's going to be something you want to pay attention to is meal timing. But more importantly, just for today's conversation, your dinner timing. The last calorie that goes in your body ideally should be an absolute minimum of two, but ideally looking at three or four hours before bed. So if you're someone that likes to go to bed at 10 o'clock, you need to be having your meal at 6 or 7. If you're someone that obviously likes to go to bed at 11 o'clock, you're having 7 or 8. Um, and the why that's so important is because we want to make sure that the timing of the meal gives you enough time to focus on digestion and give you enough time for your body to unwind, right? you got to remember, when you throw too many different processes into the body, your body has a hard time getting into the restorative ones. It's focusing on what's high alert. Right now, we got things that we need to digest and get out. Let's do that. And to kind of this could be a separate talk for nutrition, it doesn't make digestion as effective. It's better to have bigger meals in the beginning half of the day, in the middle of the day, not towards the end of the day. You got to remember coming back to the circadian rhythm once again, humans are biologically hardwired to be eating during sun. It's not good to be eating in the late, in the middle of the night, it's when it's dark, because those same processes that help with digestion, those clocks turn off at night. So if you're eating a big-ass meal at midnight, guess what? Your body's not going to digest it as well. It's going to end up storing a little bit more than it should. And at the end of the day, when it comes to food, it's not about what you eat. It's about what you can absorb. So that could be a whole separate topic. But just really pay attention to that nighttime routine of, number one, throwing the blue blockers on or at least eliminating as much blue light as possible, giving yourself three to four hours ideally, two being the absolute minimum, three or four being kind of the sweet spot uh, between when that last calorie or even water too. You don't want to be drinking a lot of water up close to bed because your body will just be waking up peeing at night. Because um, that just gives your body that extra kind of couple hours before you go into bed, those few hours to really start to wind down. You got to remember, your body's been sympathetic. It's been up. It's had coffee in the morning. It's been blah, blah, blah. Like all these other factors that go there, right? So meal timing would be number one or uh, for the kind of the thing to pay attention to. But inside of uh, the second piece of meals is also paying attention like, well, what should I be eating? Number one, remember this. Protein is the most thermogenic macronutrient to eat, which is generally why we encourage most people to get more of it and why most people are not getting enough of it. But also don't eat a huge protein meal at night. It's better to kind of front load more of the protein towards the beginning half of the day again. Because it's such thermo, it's such a thermogenic thing, it takes more time for your body to break down a steak versus something like avocado or whatever. I'm just throwing some random shit out there. So we want to think about, yes, have some moderate protein, maybe have some nice healthy fats. But also when it comes to carbs, also think about this. Carbs and blood sugar and insulin levels will affect some of the endocrine function on how your body kind of gets into these restorative stages. Meaning... I'll give you what's my favorite dessert. I would say either cinnamon rolls or carrot cake. But if I had, and this is something, I've been a lot better over the last year. Um, it's taken me a long time to really wean myself off of sugar. And all these habits, too, just to remind you guys, remember, it's a continuum that we're working in the better direction. It's always about optimizing. It's not about being perfect. Um, but if I were to have a big-ass carrot cake tonight and I were to have that at 10 o'clock and go to bed at 30 minutes later or 60 minutes later, I'm going to get this huge blood sugar spike. I'm going to get insulin to follow up, melatonin. Like, all these things fall apart. So also pay attention to not only the timing of the meal, 
but also the composition of the meal, right? Having some moderate carbs, a little bit of rice, or a little bit of whatever your carb of choice might be, it's actually good because that actually does help with some melatonin production, right? So a little bit is okay, but be careful not to be loading a shit ton of protein, a shit ton of carbs, a lot of fats. Like you just want to be careful with how big your dinner is and more importantly, the composition of how those macronutrients are kind of broken into. And then speaking of macros, kind of we've touched on water a little bit. Water, obviously, something is important to have all damn day long, but be careful of not having it too close to bed because of peeing. But then also remember this. When it comes to alcohol, this is something that we're probably the worst in our house. We drink red wine literally every night. But I don't think we take a day off, and that's something we tried working on, and we're not that good, but whatever. That's fallen into my 80-20 rule as part of my 20. When your body takes in alcohol, your body looks at alcohol being the very first thing that it needs to actually metabolize. Because it breaks down in ethanol and your body literally goes, okay, this is literally a toxin to the body. So we need to be able to kind of metabolize, digest, and get this out of the system as quick as possible. So if you're having a huge meal on top of alcohol, not only are you delaying the digestive process, which is going to be a bad thing at night, your body's going to first metabolize that alcohol, right? And if you were to think about alcohol by itself, having a glass or two of red wine or having maybe a drink, same thing, kind of at a dinner time that's maybe the timing's okay, it's not the end of the world. For me personally tracking it, I've realized that I can have one or two glasses of red wine and my sleep can still be perfect, right? Or damn near perfect. Um, it would be perfect if I probably took it out. That's, that's me trying to convince myself. <laughs> so ideally, yes. If you're not someone that drinks alcohol, please stay in this boat. If you're someone like me that loves alcohol, really try to mitigate it um, as much as you can. If you're doing like one night a week where you're going a little bit heavier and drinking, that's okay. But if you're doing that all the time, you are wrecking your sleep. Your heart rate variability is going to crash. Your heart rate's going to go through the roof. Your metabolism is going to be all kind of out of whack because not only is it trying to get the alcohol at first, but then it has to work on the food. So that's going to be a big thing when you look at food. Number, you know, fifth thing I have written down here is going to be kind of daily activity. When you look at daily activity, this is going to be things that you got to remember in order for your body to actually kind of wind down easier, do things that expend energy. If all you do is sit behind a computer from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. and then you watch TV from 7 p.m. to 11 p.m. and you never really move, your body is naturally going to have a hard time falling asleep because it hasn't done anything to expend energy. So this is a really, really simple thing to get some exercise, ideally somewhere in the beginning half of your day, not too late. You know, you know, one of the things when it kind of comes to exercise timing, I always tell people, think about it kind of like your work schedule, like 9 to 5 would be ideal, uh, but I know most of us are working. So be careful with not working out super, super late because your body is obviously going to have to wind down from that sympathetic event. So that's really a simple one to kind of pay attention to. Now I want to kind of talk about room environment, right? When you think about room environment, these are some big things. There's like temperature, there's lighting, there's comfortability of your mattress, uh, there's noise, there's all these other kind of cofactors that go into this. Number one, to come back to the light one, we use blackout curtains now. We've been using them for two years. For most of us listening to this, we probably live in some type of city, and there's street lights, there's porch lights, there's car lights, there's car alarms, there's all these other external factors outside of here. We don't live in the woods or on a ranch. Um, in the perfect world, I would say that it'd be nice for us to all start kind of getting ready for bed as soon as the sun sets and wake up with the sunrise. Um, I don't go to bed personally early enough to be able to do that. If I were to wake up with sunrise, I'd probably be sleeping like six hours a night. And I ideally feel better with like closer to, you know, eight kind of being my sweet spot knowing that 90 percent of that is going to be efficient and actual good sleep so number one blackout curtains are a super easy thing that you guys can buy they even have soundproof ones now you're really blacking out because you got to remember your body is super 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 sensitive to light there's even some cool studies of us that are showing that like many lights shined on people's legs under the bed sheet 
were still things that were disrupting sleep and circadian rhythm. So you have to remember your body is super sensitive. So one of the things that we do in our room is number one, I try to keep the lamps off pretty much at all or the all times. I'm sorry. Um, is I black out like even my alarm clock light, the AC unit. I put tape over all those things that when I sleep, I want that thing black the hell out. Number two would be sound, right? When you think about sound, you probably didn't hear that barking dog in the background right now. Speaking of sound, sound's going to be a big thing. A lot of people can get away with maybe just being hard sleepers. Um, but if you're listening to this and you're trying to get something out of this, I'm assuming you're probably not. I'm a little bit more of a light sleeper as I've gotten older. I've realized that. And I think that's a lot of factors like the stress, the light, the day-to-day stuff. So there's a lot of things that make you a lighter sleeper. I wear earplugs now. Uh, I think those have been an absolute game changer over the last six months for me because it really just keeps me in bed, right? I don't have trouble falling asleep personally, but I do have sometimes trouble staying asleep. So earplugs are one of the easiest ways for me to kind of help mitigate that and just to kind of pay attention to say, hey, I'm shutting off sound. I shut out light. Boom, right? Third one would be temperature. The ideal temperature, the least has been proven in research so far, is probably high 60s. Um, and this could be a little bit more of a comfortability thing. So there's some flexibility inside of that. So doing things like turning your AC on and on, if you have an AC at the house, we bought one that just like a window one. So we don't have AC in our house. Um, there's some cool companies out there that even make like mattress toppers that have coolers. I think it's called like, I always forget the name of it actually. So I don't know that. Sorry. Um, but you know, making sure that temperature is a big thing because that really would get your body to relax quicker when you're a someone that's really sleeping in hot you know 75 80 85 degrees or even sometimes our house get 90 degrees it makes sleep miserable you just don't get comfortable you never relax and obviously you're just kind of destroying some of those restorative stages right so that's going to be a big thing is look at kind of how you set up your room right get yourself a mattress that fits for you get yourself some earplugs or some soundproof curtains black out the room as much as you can right get the room to the right temperature make it a fucking cave that as soon as your body gets in there you know that you're falling asleep here's one thing to think about your room should only be meant for two things and that's sleeping and stripping you shouldn't be watching tv you shouldn't be i don't go on my phone in my bed i try not we watch tv maybe once a month in our room maybe and ideally i would like to take it out but we we have it there because i'm not going to be completely senile about all these things um, but think about that. Your body is a very habitual creature. So if you're used to only going to bed for either sleep or sex, that's all your body thinks about, right? And I'm hoping that most of us probably spend more time sleeping than having sex in our bed. So your body will get used to sleeping there. And that's one thing you want, right? You want the environment to be something that's conducive with what we're trying to do, right? So one of the things I suggest is keep all the TV watching in the living room. Keep all the sleeping in the bedroom, right? Uh, I used to have a bad habit of falling asleep on the couch for two hours. Then I would make my way and brush my teeth and then go to bed. That disrupts your sleep, right? Ideally, we want to have as much continuous sleep as possible. Um, last thing that I'm going to want to kind of get into today so I don't kind of go too long is going to be supplements. And this would be kind of a really quick. A lot of people ask me about like melatonin. Ideally, I would try to look at more of this production being something that happens naturally. Melatonin is a great way to think I combat jet lag combat maybe some type of immediate sleep disruption that happens from traveling or just days where maybe you drink a little bit too much caffeine caffeine almost totally forgot about that having caffeine in the beginning part of your day is good it's okay it's great for you having caffeine after two or five is probably something that's not going to be ideal the half-life of caffeine is eight hours meaning that half of that caffeine has left your body in eight hours so if you had it at 2 p.m only half of it's gone by the time you go to bed, right? So really pay attention to try. And this is something I've been doing now for almost a month. So I'm going to pat myself on the bat here of only really having one cup of coffee in the morning with caffeine. And if I do do a second one, it's 
Uh, it's like a decaf tea or decaf coffee, something that's not, I know they're not 100% decaffeinated, but it's something that's just taken me a lot of time to kind of get out of that habit. So, but coming back to the supplements, I'm sorry, there's a couple that I really take. So for me, magnesium and getting yourself that has different forms of magnesium. So I use one called Bio Optimizer. I take two of those every night. It's a great, it's a great supplement. I think that everyone should be taking no matter what, but it's also something that's going to really kind of allow the body to relax, especially if you're someone that is naturally a stressed out person, you're depleting a lot of magnesium, right? So magnesium is probably a 100% essential. Another two thing would be L-theanine. L-theanine is something like a uh, green tea has in it. I'm trying to think of like random foods that have it. Um, I use L-theanine powder. I put it in my coffee in the morning, but also I'll take a little scoop of that just kind of straight to the head and wash it down with some water at night. L-theanine is also something that kind of reduces anxiety, allows your body to kind of mitigate some of the stress, making it easier to kind of have more of these calming effects at night. And then the last one that I suggest would be like a reishi mushroom. It's an adaptogen um, mushroom. So it's like a medicinal mushroom. But reishi, you know, the Chinese call it the immunity mushroom. It's really, really good for actually kind of improving some of the deep sleep. But there's even some cool stuff even on lines made at night for even improving some REM sleep as well. So I would really say think about magnesium, think about L-theanine, and maybe think about reishi mushroom as kind of kind of three protocols that I would add for the supplements. All right, guys, I don't want to talk too long, and I actually have to run anyway. So I'm hoping you guys got some good information out of this. This is a huge piece to the routine. you got to remember this is the thing that allows you to recover from workouts. This is the thing that allows you to have more energy. This is the thing that allows you to digest efficiently. This is the thing that allows you to feel awake and alive every single day. And remember, your day begins the time that you go to bed, not from when you wake up. So the more you can focus on optimizing this routine, the better off you're going to feel, and the better everything works, not just one, everything. So as always, thank you for listening. I appreciate it. I love some of the comments and texts I've been getting for people getting some stuff away. This is literally why I'm doing this. I love sharing education for the people that want to hear it. Um, as always, to kind of help other people hear this information, share it, review it, post it, do as much as you can to help me get this out to other people as well. And other than that, take care. And uh, by the way, I'll be in Maui next week. So no episode next week. See you guys.